Mahogany L. Brown's novel, Chlorine Sky, is grounded in the truth that black girls are worthy of love and protection in a world that works hard to destroy them. She talks to us about the importance of being honest with young people and teaching them how to take up space in the world. Mahogany shares with us what lessons she has learned in her youth, her time as a journalist and slam poet, and why we think she could easily replace Kevin Bacon in a game of six degrees of separation. I'm Denny. And I'm Veronica. Stay with us for this interview with the iconic Mahogany L. Brown on this episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Support for this podcast comes from Park Ave CDs, purveyors of new and used vinyl and CDs, clever gifts, books, and more. This year, Park Ave CDs celebrates 37 years. They'll also be celebrating Record Store Day 2021 on June 12th and July 17th. Visit in-store or online at parkavcds.com for details. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzy'sbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. I am one of the hosts, Veronica, joined with the lovely... Hi, my name is Denny. How y'all doing? <laughs> and today, um, we are so excited that we are going to talk to um, one of the most prolific writers uh, that I have ever had the opportunity to hear and to yes. read. And um, she is a blessing on our show today. Um, we are going to be talking to the one and the only Miss Mahogany Brown. So for those of anybody who just is like living in outer space <laughs> and has no clue, we're going to let you know who she is. Mahogany L. Brown is a poet, an organizer, and the author of several children's books, including the poetry collection, Woke, A Young Poet's Call to Justice. Mahogany is also the founder of the Woke Baby Book Fair. Her first novel in verse, Chlorine Sky, is inspired by the beauty of the California landscape that raised her and the basketball courts that taught her to stand up for herself. If she isn't returning to high school photos to forgive her younger self, she is roaming the streets of Brooklyn, New York, listening to Kendrick Lamar and LaKaylee 47. She feels most balanced watching the amazing world of gumball. Hello, Miss <laughs> Brown. How you doing? Hey, hey, bim, bim, bim. So happy to be here. <laughs> Thank so y'all for having me. We are talking to you about this beautiful book, uh, Chlorine Sky. It was our book of the month for YA uh, last uh, last month, and um, oh. for our it was our anniversary month. So this was our our anniversary pick. Yes, it's our anniversary. Yeah. Little little Bay Area for you. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to ask so you all dope. the questions. I'm going to ask all okay. the questions about you, about your book. So let's just jump right on into it. 
And so my first question um, is, cause I used to be a high school librarian. And so I spent a lot of time reading, uh, you know, YA, um, not by choice in the beginning, only because this was where I was, right? But I find that um, it's very challenging um, when thinking about like, when you're looking at genres, right? So there's an idea that young adult fiction is written solely for the children with our recent undertaking of adding a YA novel to our book list every month. I'm realizing more and more that this genre feels like it's written like under this disguise that it, though it is for the child first, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's also written for the adult for them to remember uh, and how important it is to relate to those children around us. What are your thoughts on that? I love that. I, I totally agree. Um, I think adults forget what we endured, what we survived to be in a, in a, in a space um, where we're adulting, where we are making the decisions. And um, a lot of young people are um, are tasked with, you know, having it all together. When I think about it, I'm like, I did not have it together, fam. I just didn't. Like, I was a, a good, I, I guess I was a good kid. I will say I was a good kid. But like anyone else, um, you, you're figuring it out. And I think that uh, we don't give a lot of, time to our young people. We don't give a lot of grace. Um, it's do as I say, not as I do, which we learned did not work with us, right? And so now that we have the ability to read this text um, or write this text, I wanted to make sure that I was on that side that you're talking about, where I'm just one telling the young people, you're not wrong. Your filter's not off. You do see some, some inaccuracies. You see the contradictions and it's okay for you to be angry about that and to challenge it and to question question it um but also adults hey hey auntie uh you, how are you gonna show up you know right. what i mean like how do you show up and remind yourself that oh that's right i i did go through this i may not have done it the same but i need to extend some grace because how different would my life be if someone had just said yo pull up a chair you okay let's talk mm. um and, instead of just assigning me you know or or assigning me with the task before knowing you know what the issue is I'm glad that you said that because a lot of times the only time that you have an adult that is talking to a child and to tell them that you know they, they've done those things before is when they're disciplining them mm -hmm. like I you don't think that you're the first one to think about this right mm -hmm. like if that's the case then why don't you explain that to mm -hmm. the child so that they'll understand like you know let's think this through let's make some better choices mm -hmm. I, I understand being caught up in the moment when you're trying to be like what is going on but mm -hmm. you have to like you said take that moment and give grace to to that to that kid yeah I think there's also some shame as adults we got shame right oh. when if we told the truth to our young people they'd be like so all them rules you gave me you wouldn't even follow and you're like yeah <laughs> 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 but there's so much shame that it ends up further distancing us from our young people, which makes the climb towards that 18 year mark, that 21 year mark, that emotionally well mark so much harder to, to get to. Um, so I, I, I try to keep it as funky as possible with, with my young people when I'm teaching, um, with my daughter, um, 
even my poems um, are not speaking from a, a space of you better, you better. I'm usually the one that's like, yeah, I, I know what they told you. And this is what really happened. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Here's a real tea though, because I don't want to be the one to, to lie and then get caught later and be like, oh yeah, I, I didn't tell you that because there's so much that we've survived. And if I would just be honest, I, as in all of us, right? The we, the universal parent, if we would just be honest about the things that we've survived, there will be so, like, we would get further with our young people. Our communities would not, we would not be silenced, right? We would not have the, the, the trauma that comes with silencing, and we would not have to keep trying to fix these generational curses. Yes. Mm. Yep. So, th- yeah. so thank you for coming to Mahogany Brown's TED Talk. <laughs> 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 we'll be taking donations at the end of the show <laughs> amen because amen. <laughs> i i am a parent as well i'm a very um new parent my child is a toddler the, pe- oh, the happy mother's day <laughs> happy mother's day to you too ma'am the the peak of all knows is coming so i am catching like myself you know just being angry in the beginning and i'm like i have to like like pace myself because I want to explain to him like look this is this is this is what's happening because you know we we sometimes we seem to forget how how even though they're like young or like close to like 21 they understand more than we think they do mm-hmm. and sometimes we like dumb it down so like oh because they don't understand I think children understand more yes I think they see everything yeah Kids see everything. They see when you're being fake. Mm. They see when you're just trying to hold it together. And then, you know, we do the, we do that thing where it's like, no, everything's okay. You're not seeing what you actually see. And they're just like, but I already heard this over here. So why aren't you telling? Then like, we're literally teaching our young people to lie to themselves. Mm. We're teaching them about bad Add boundaries. <laughs> we're teaching them about um, poor accountability standards, all because we're just trying to save face for what we think uh, parenting or responsibility or family or or adulting should look like. And and we're doing a disservice. We really are. Mm-hmm. So you have written several books, uh, mainly in the young adult genre. How did you decide that this would be the medium that she would write, and how? How, how was Sky birthed from that process? Mm. So I came into writing as a journalist and I was writing for Double XL, Source, um, Interning, Honey, like hip hop music, coming of age, that was my jam. And then um, I found poetry later like 21, uh, but I wasn't really moved by it because I didn't understand. I, I was moved by the fact that I could tell my story, but I wasn't moved by the community. I didn't understand the community. The, the It didn't make sense to me. So when magazine work took off, freelancing took off, and then I got, you know, the full-time job, I pushed poetry to the side. After a year and a half of like just blatant misogyny, um, <laughs> Me, me too moments, unsafe spaces, all of that. And then looking at my male peers and counterparts, just kind of ignore it. Um, I realized that poetry was the one place where I could tell the truth and no one would try to edit my language because it would mess with advertising dollars. 
I came back to poetry at the age of 23 and I ain't left since. Even now when I'm writing, whether it's essays about mass incarceration and the impact on women and children, whether it's poetry, um, I'm always speaking from a space of, I have, if, if I don't tell the truth, who will, right? So poetry is the nucleus and YA just became another space where I could try and share this poetic voice because I was already teaching in, in grade schools, in high schools, in colleges for the last 15 years. Um, I started working at um, group homes for teenage pregnant mothers to alternative prison programs, after school programs and using poetry, but it was always you know 20 and under. So I, I'm aware of the pulse and of, of the themes and the language of our young people. But I didn't feel like I could write a YA because I thought I cursed too much. Like, no, like they, ain't gonna, they ain't gonna listen to that shit. I'm in trouble. <laughs> it was Jason Reynolds. It was Jason Reynolds who was like, nah, my, you need to share this. Like write something that your voice is needed in this space specifically because of the way you tell the truth. And I just gave it a shot. I'm like, if I keep saying no, there's fear there. And, you know, the best way to move forward is through. So through the fear I went and out came Chlorine Sky. Started out as a poem, looking at a snapshot of a picture after I went to, um, I think it was like a, a, a field trip or a senior skip day, something. And I looked at this picture and I looked sad and everybody else was happy. And I was like, damn, what happened? And I blocked out the moment, which opens up chlorine sky where my best friend is laughing at me being made fun of mm. and that just became the foundation for the entire book I'm glad you brought that up because that goes into my next question because uh, chlorine sky not only deals with the trials and tribulations of growing up female during your teen years but it also the delves hardest. into the issue of uh, colorism Mm -hmm. um, and how it plays a part within familial and friendship. So why did you feel it was necessary to add that particular part within your, within your book? Um, well, colorism was really a large part of my, my experience as a, a young Black girl growing up in California. Uh, there was only, you know, one way to look if you were considered pretty. There was only one way to be. I mean, we have pretty politics through, through our country. But when it comes to Blackness um, in the Black community, colorism is still a tool of, div of divisiveness. And I didn't realize it. I just knew that I was considered ugly. Literally. They were like, oh, she the dark one. She ugly. That was it. And I thought, damn, okay, well... I have to play ball really good and I have to be funny and I have to know how to dance and I got to dress. So I like did all these other things to hopefully accumulate not as ugly. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I have to show up um, in a way that makes me undeniable because obviously my, my prettiness, the pretty politics of, of my growing up black girl body wasn't enough. And when you're growing up girl, all you want to do is just be accepted like the other girls, right? I think when you're growing up as a kid, you just want to be accepted. Yep. And for that to be the thing that I caught, it, it kind of, it, 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 it challenged me. You know, it was a nightmare for, for the majority of my life. Um, 
and to see it still happening. Like I walk into a classroom and they're like team light skin, team dark skin. I was like, wait, y'all are still doing this? This is trash. This is what, like, this is really the thing that will end you. It can end how you feel about yourself, how you love yourself, how you see yourself. And that moment is crucial because if you don't care about you, trust the people who don't give a damn, they are, they gravitate towards that kind of broken energy. And the rest of your life is going to be you trying to repair, you know what I mean? The damage um, of this, of this thing that you think you deserve because you're not good enough. That said, uh, novel and verse allowed me to talk about colorism, uh, the impact of mass incarceration, single parent households, sibling rivalry, fractured friendships, and really how we see ourselves despite the people who choose us. What happens when you choose yourself? What happens when you take up space? And talking about talking like that to like a femme body in this country is radical, right? Is revolutionary because you have so many people saying, well, if you just look like this, if you just dress like this, if you just, you know, talk about, if you just rap about sex only, like, I can rap about sex and revolution. What are you talking about? Like, there's not one way I get to be a person walking into this space, be an artist walking into this space, be a Black woman walking into this space. I get to be all of it because you get to be all of it. You know what I mean? Um, So I wanted to use novel and verse to touch on all of those things without saying, hey, guys, here's the answer. Disney approved. No, ain't no answers because y'all still out here whack and y'all still making it hard for these babies. And you still got people on the screen who don't look like, you know, anybody that goes like lives in our neighborhoods, goes to our schools, goes to our churches. I I want to see regular, regular people because they're beautiful. I want to see stories about us just existing, not stories about us surviving. And I tried to keep all of those components in that in that text. You when reading the book for me, (laughs) I can't never just read a book. I always got to like make it relate to wherever it is that I was at that maybe the age of that character or whatever and a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that I had like either blocked or mm-hmm. not thought about in a long time came up and like when the colorism stuff came up or mm-hmm. you know, like just her having finally gotten this boyfriend and her wanting to tell somebody and then you know trying to figure out how to navigate all of that made me think about like you know, if even the mention of me saying I like somebody and the possibility of them meeting my friends could then pull me out of that totally. Cause I've actually had that happen at my own birthday party in my old age of, you know, on the crust of being 40 at the time of like being at this party and I'm with this person that I, you know, wanted to celebrate the party with and them asking me about a friend of mine that is at the party. And it's just kind of like, what did, what just happened? What just happened? So, you know, like for me, I realized like with this book, that's why I wanted to ask you Mm. about the question of YA being for children, but it's also for adults. And if mm-hmm. we could sit, it could break a lot of the stuff that we are still dealing with mm-hmm. at our at our old age. So I say all of that to just say thank you for <laughs> for writing this for writing this book. Yeah, because like um I was first introduced to you when I came to this country. I'm from the Philippines. So I'm I'm an immigrant. I didn't I knew Asian history, but I didn't know this history. I did not know black history. I'm a product of colonialism. 
and colonialism teaches you the whiter you are, the prettier you are. So I, I had, even as a young child, I had all of these like, you know, prejudice and like, you know, cause I'm, I am a little bit a tad lighter Filipino compared to, you know, the tan ones to me, the more prettier ones, but you know, in my, even in my country, they're like, oh, if you're dark, that means you work on the farmlands and you, you know, you don't get the air conditioning, you're not privileged. Mm-hmm. So when I first came into this country, the, when I was educating myself, um, cause I was just sick of it. I was sick of the hatred. I was sick. I was sick of the ignorance. Your video, I don't know if you remember this, you were speaking, I think it was this, this, Mm. and that blew my mind I think I was like who is this lady (laughs) uh where's she at what's she doing (laughs) like how 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 do you exist Mm. so I was like even up to now I'm like I'm fangirling because I'm like shaking like inside like my hands are shaking (laughs) but I just wanted to tell you that because when I was reading your novel and I'm like, I'm gonna get to talk to Mahogany Brown. She like, you opened the doors for me to learn. Mm. So when we were speaking about colorism and all of that, and I'm like, I think that was the point when I said enough is enough. Cause mm-hmm. like, I, I can't do this. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't look at people and be judgy like this. Cause it's, it's fucked up. It's so mm-hmm. superficial. And it's based on what? Nothing. Mm-hmm. So when, when, like, that's why I feel so, like, passionate about it. Because I'm like, when we are talking about, you know, how people look like, that really hurts my feelings. Because you're mm-hmm. underestimating the power of a child and, like, their mind, you know, mm-hmm. like, what they can do for the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that before before I combust from the <laughs> Well, thank you for saying that. Um, that poem you're talking about is is wild. That poem came out of a response to someone in the poetry slam world who basically was like, I'm like so tired of like black poems. I'm tired of like poems about rape. I'm tired of like, like, you know, these identity poems. And it was like, that's so great. You get to say that. Like, I feel so sad for you to not be able to explore (laughs) um what it means to be uh, me like I understand your sadness I know why you're tired because you're boring and there's nothing you can do about it except sit here and wait for me to dissolve or hate myself enough to want to be like you and I don't I don't want to be like you I want to be me and I understand now you even you saying I want to be me who I am is enough. If there is somebody who is just so entrenched in uh, whiteness, in white supremacy, and in uh, benefiting from colonialism, right? Because that's really what it is. You really are just a capitalist waiting for your for your turn to like cha-ching yep. um, because you think that's going to make you like more rich, more popular, more famous, whatever. But me loving myself, if that offends you, then I'm doing it right. Yeah. Sorry, because you worried about me loving myself is your tragedy. That's mm-hmm. not mine, right? Like that. That's when I realized. Oh, so if these poems make y'all mad, 
I'm going to do more. <laughs> well, the name of this poem is She Love Herself and She Black. Oh, like, I'm not going to part two. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Because, and you're right. And you're right. So I, I'm so happy you said the poem. That, wow. That was a blow. That was a, wow. That blew my mind. That was almost 15 years ago, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Shout, out. Shout out to you. Little Denny, I was like, who this girl? <laughs> yes. This is me. Me. Your me. local poet. <laughs> so we we are talking about chlorine sky and how it is a, a love letter to every black girl around the world and even brown girls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Letting them know that they are enough and also maybe warning them. Um, of the world around them that the world is, is going to try and will continue try to bring them down um, with all of this what would you want to be your legacy for you know for the future for the mm. little, little girls everywhere um you get to take up space uh and it comes up in the book mm. I, I didn't realize how afraid I was of being loud of being big Mm-hmm. of being you know lavish in in my presentation um I didn't know how offensive my love for myself could be and now I know that that was half the battle of me just growing up so I could be an accountable citizen so I can be a global citizen so I can be a part of this actual world making more worlds is that I was trying to be small and malleable to fit the ideas of people who I just wanted to respect me. Um, And their respect meant more to me than my respect for myself. So taking up space, that's all I want. I I want marginalized voices, black, brown, GNC, LGBTQ. I just want all of us, specifically those who are decentered to recenter ourselves in our own narrative. You know what I mean? Like, like, I want your stories to be about you and your dreams and your ideas. I don't want us to have to move in a way in which we don't get to even love ourselves in our dreams. Mm-hmm. So take up space. Take up space. You get to take up space. I don't even, I love when kids get on the, well, I don't go on the train no more, but back when, before COVID, when I went on the train, I loved when kids got, they were loud. I love loud, like boisterous teenagers. I'm not saying go beat somebody up, teenager. I'm just saying when they're laughing and they're friends with they self and they like cracking up in a group. And I just, I'm like, look at this love for themselves. Look at this love for their lives, Mm -hmm. right? That, that is key because the the rest of your adulthood is spent trying to find that love again. Find that that hope again. Find that that moment of intrigue um, instead of like selling ourselves off as, you know, cogs in a, in a machine. There's so many things I want to say to that because there's a lot of uh, decolonization of the mind that you find yourself having to do. And one of those things for me, especially when I was a teacher of like telling children that they were too loud. Mm-hmm. And then I got to a point, I'm like, why am I doing that? Like mm-hmm. having conversations just as like I would if I was out with my friends, they're just in a space that someone has said that this is where you need to be quiet. 
And so when I became a librarian, I was like, I'm not doing that. Mm. Library, you can come in, you can have conversations. And and the space was not just me in there. There were other people who had offices that had doors and you would go in there and close and you wouldn't hear anything. Mm -hmm. But their problem was when they came out of those spaces, they wanted to know why, first of all, why all the black children were in the library. Mm. I was the first black librarian for that school. Mm. And then why was it always so loud? And I had to tell them, I said, I don't run a quiet library. I will not be shushing anybody. Mm. And this is where they can come. I said, they're, the only time they're required is when we're testing, mm-hmm. which is what we did most of the time anyway. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was like, I can't, I can't continue to hold on to that because mm-hmm. that's not who we are. We're very loud people because we have so much joy that's built into us that mm-hmm. bust out from every seam and it just <laughs> Like we are putting a lasso on those children when we're telling them that they have to be quiet. So thank you for for mentioning that. How can you convince the younger generation of black and brown women that you don't have to have everyone like you, that you Mm. don't follow everything that people tell you to do and that you can be you, you can claim that space, whatever else is rightfully yours? Mm. I'm still learning since I'm saying what? Uh... How do, I mean, it's really practice makes perfect, right? Who I wish I was when I was younger, like even writing Chlorine Sky, while it is, you know, somewhat autobiographical, a lot of it is fictionalized. And I'm pulling from so many various parts of my life. Laylee is not just one person, that's several people, right? Um, Inga is several people, that's two people. That was my cousin and my brother. So like, there's this homage, that I'm trying to, to, to celebrate the many various people in the world of my world. And what I know to be true about being liked, <laughs> damn. And I don't know if it's a gender thing, but I do know that as a woman, I, I move through the world different. And I'm treated differently. Um, even, even when I was in the, the journalism industry, the things that I would require and the things that my male counterparts would require would be received like I was asking for too much. And they were just, you know, they were just, you know, business friend. They were business minded. But you, you want too much. And then when I turned to poetry, I'll never forget going to get my payment for uh, being a featured poet. And it was me and this brother and the brother got his money. And the dude said to me, you lucky, you cute. I'm going to give you this money. And I was like, I did my set the same way he did his set. What you talking about? Right? Like, why do I need to have an extra thing? And sure. Maybe he was, uh, he could have been flirting, but I don't give a damn. Who, who are you talking to? What you mean? I'm lucky I'm cute to get my money for the job that I just did like him, right? Mm -hmm. So I had to get to the point where I was okay with me standing up for myself more times than not going to mean that they may respect me, but they won't like me. Mm -hmm. You're right. And which one is more important? Being liked was really important for me for a long time. Even now, I have moments where I'm always thinking ethically. I'm always moving communal. And I'm thinking about like the the larger picture. And then I have the moment of 
someone being flustered with how I'm moving and maybe it doesn't uh, propel them or, or center them, push them forward. Maybe it's a communal thing. I'm more worried about the community rather than the, this just one person's fame. And the first thing I'll, I'll the first energy I get is like, uh, you think you all, right? Whereas if another dude said do ABC, not even a, a stutter step. It's like, you know, they a sergeant, they doing this, like whatever you say, sure. So I don't know, cause I'm still affected by it today. And I, I'm 40 again is what I say. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's going to, it's going to constantly be an uphill battle. I think for my generation to the point that my daughter, I, I wish I was her, like she's Kiana in this book. Um, the girl who just does not care about what you got to say. She was like, you mean, hmm? whatever. And then moving on, right? Like you don't get no more energy. I have no more time. Time has run out. Stop, watch, done. I love that about her. Even sometimes if it hurt my feelings, I'll be like, you can't do that to me though. I'm your mom. Like you gotta relax. <laughs> but it's beautiful. So I don't know. I don't know if I taught her through my mistakes. I don't know if she watched it and was like, you know, mom, that's a little, you a little weak for that. Like, you know, buckle up. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say outside of as long as you like yourself, mm. as long as you can sleep. Mm. And I don't want to get all biblical and do unto others as you want done. But the reality is there's going to be a lot of things that you do for folks that they will never do for you. Yep. You have to be okay with the person that you look at in the morning. And that's all I do. I'm like, they may not like me, but I like me. And they may not talk to me because I don't give them a gig and that's okay. Like I have to be okay with it because I gotta like me. The work that I'm doing is far greater than this one moment. Um, so being liked is not, a, it's not mandatory. It's not an obligation for me anymore, but being respected is a must or you can't be in my space. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think it's so hard, especially for, you know, for, for teenagers, because everybody just wanted to like belong, you know, mm -hmm. like, and to us, we don't even see that respect as necessary. Cause I'm like, I just want to have friends. Yep. You don't know. And that obtaining your friends, you lose yourself little by little until there's mm. more left mm -hmm. and you go into adulthood being like zero. And you, mm. how can you be like in a relationship or how can you be like in a workspace if you're zero? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it's so hard. Cause like, you know, I think I, I have been there like a hundred percent. Like I came into adulthood. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Here? <laughs> how can I be a mom? How am mm. I like, you know, mm. if I'm honest though, and I don't mean to get all political, but it just happens. Go there. You have, I think it's, I think that that is the makeup of this country. It's like, how do we make people doubt themselves enough to become lifelong consumers? Because everything they ship into us, sell into us is to make us better, more pretty, more fair, more thin, more thick, more voluptuous, more marriable, like <laughs> more agreeable. Everything that they sell us is to fill a void that happened when they were uh I don't want to say subtracting, but 
when they taught us to doubt ourselves, we depleted ourselves. Mm. When we gave all of our attention to the commercials or to what somebody's wearing or to, you know, even, and, and I mean, all of those popularity tricks, mm. all of that is cyclical. You know, one feeds the other. And you're right. We moving through the world like I just want to be liked. You got 10-year-olds saying it and it makes sense. But when you got a 40-year-old saying it, you like, you ain't figured this out yet? No, because I didn't I didn't develop that skill, right? Mm-hmm. That muscle died <laughs> in, in high school. I tell people all the time, I think middle school is trash. Sorry, I do. Oh. Middle school, it really is just like, here's two years to learn how to be a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Go for it. It's all about being mean, mean girls, cool kids table. Get get let's get vocational colleges. Um Go learn how to fix a carburetor, fix some plumbing, do something real because being mean to each other and learning how to undo each other and that, and that be the certification. Like you, 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 (laughs) you graduated from this. You, you, you made it out. That ain't enough. That's not enough. We're standardized testing. We're just taking tests. We're just memorizing. We're not learning. We're not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're not volunteering unless we have to. Like, what is happening? I so I know I went on a tangent, child. I don't know. I did have a Jen Martini, so shout out. Oh, oh. that. Yes. That's <laughs> and shout out to you. Y'all the best. Y'all just let me go to you. Like, mm-hmm. Yep. Go, sis. You can edit that. some of this. <laughs> no, no, ma'am. We won't. Not, not, not until I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> we keep in it all. Yes, okay. Fair. But yeah, yeah, I think that's where I'm landing. <laughs> so why is it important to let um, kids know the harsh realities of dating somebody, even as somebody as pretty as Laylee mm-hmm. are having problems with Curtis? Mm. That trusting somebody and letting yourself be vulnerable is a very serious endeavor. Mm-hmm. Well, so one thing I, I wrote lately several times. I didn't want, I knew people were going to be mad at her, whatever. But I really wanted us to look at, at how we're complicit because we all been somebody's lately. Oh. Ain't none of us a hero all the time. We're villains sometimes. And if you look at Laylee's backstory, she's holding a lot. She's taking care of these sisters. The pops ain't there. So what happened? And the moms ain't there. So then she's falling into whomever can give her attention. And the one thing that she's been proven to have value around is her, is her looks, is her body, is her, you know, her femininity. Um, so I, I didn't want to pretend that that wasn't a thing that these young people are talking about. They know, they know by the age of 11, 12, um, even learning like kids walking to school and, and they know the difference of like who they are becoming by the type of men, not boys, men that start speaking to them in the morning, you know, like what? Mm-hmm. You, you 30 something, why are you talking to a 12 year old? Leave these kids alone, but they get it. They're, they're quick. And we're, we're not being honest about our young people's um, ability to problem solve, <laughs> to troubleshoot and, and to, to make good decisions. And when we do that, when we take away, you know, we put the blinders on them and take away their, um, that skill set, 
we really are failing them. So I wanted to make sure, let's talk about the fact that, you know, sis likes to date and this is why she's dating and this is why she falls in with the wrong folks sometimes um, because Curtis ain't, he ain't shit. Look at Curtis, he out here being a whole mess. Mm -hmm. He's a mess. But what did he learn? He learned that I can be a mess and get away with it because look, I still got the prettiest girl checking for me, right? I can be mean to her best friend and what? She's still gonna smile on my face. There's no regard for how I treat people as long as I'm nice to the pretty one or as long as, you know, whatever, whoever. Um, so I wanted, I wanted us to have those like really tough conversations without, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't, wanna, I didn't wanna make it slick and clean and pretty and precious because it's not, it's messy it and it's, it's human. Have you had a lot of conversations with uh, with teenagers about Laylee? Like, do they do they have the same sentiment at, at first until you break it down as to who she is? Or do yes. they already know? No, there's moments of like, I hate Laylee. I can't stand her. And then, of course, they've had their moments where they were like, I did see that before. And now I feel bad I didn't say nothing. You know what I mean? Like, they have the moment where they have to just come to terms with who am I in the world? How will I be remembered? So um, we've already said and established, it's very hard to fit in and to be loved for who you are. We all have been teenagers. So it really struck a chord with me when Laylee, when Laylee's character told Skye not to leave on any evidence on what makes her feel sad. Do mm-hmm. uh, not write about it. What was your intention to... Um, was it your intention to mention this to let the kids know that it's okay to feel that their mental health is also important or that we should we should address these things so we can have proper coping mechanisms as we enter adulthood because this is mm. this is one thing I think that I didn't learn very early on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's both absolutely I think it's both I think we ignore that mental health is a thing. And, and young people are like, if you say too much, this will happen. So don't say nothing, right? And then you have folks who are just like, wait, what? <laughs> don't write about it. What are you talking about? Um, and of course, in the beginning, when she says, you know, Google makes everything perfect, look it up. How do you fix the run in the stocking? You don't. That is, that's like the nod at, how do you talk about the sads, right? It's just like that perfect loop, that perfect circle of the way in which we rid of people Mm. with issues. Mm. If you can't fix somebody, that's like a, a run in the stocking. You can't fix them, you don't. So get rid of them, don't worry about it. Um, so I wanted us to be like mindful of the way in which we talk about mental health, sadness, vulnerability, um, and how expendable we treat folks, um, with those, with those, uh, not because some, some of it, some of it is illness. Absolutely. But also some of it is just like, you're having a, a, a row, you're having a hard time and you don't have the skill set, like you said, to even deal with it. So why give up on that person? Why not give them the tools to help themselves? Um, everybody is not cookie cutter perfect. No, no, far from it. Yeah. So, um, 
we're going to talk about your life as a poet, <laughs> mm-hmm. your foundation as a writer beginning in the world of poetry slam. Uh, how significant were those early years for you? Uh, my foundation as a writer started in journalism and then it went to reading, performing poems. I didn't do slam first. I did just performance poetry. Um, and then two years later, so if I started writing poetry in 1998, I didn't do a, like the slam until 2001. And what I appreciate about the performance poetry world, it taught me to hone in on language, intention, and um, the story in three minutes or less, right? And it taught me also with this time limit, how do you tell the most uh, universal story? Not universal to us as like, everybody's been through this, we get it, but universal as in, um, can you find the humanity in this? Can you attach yourself to this? Which is why Chlorine Sky, I love, even when like, you know, kids from all races are like, yo, what happened here? Bob, bop, 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 bop. And that totally happened to me because I had a lately and they'll find themselves because humanity says, if you look at us, we are all experiencing this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And if you just remove, remove your ideas of who deserves what kind of treatment, what stories are worth repeating or remembering, what is the canon? Once you start challenging what is the actual literary canon, you will, you will see that the traditional or the classic is not it. It ain't right. always been it. Mm-hmm. Even our griots who had these stories that weren't written, but told, but spoken are so much a part of the fabric in, in even how we deal today. Think about the game telephone, right? Mm-hmm. The game telephone, we learned that real early. We were what, first grade, maybe second grade. That's a part of the griot tradition. So I wanted to, uh, I, I appreciate it for that, for sure. Mm-hmm. That it allowed me to, to look at all these different walks of life in the same room and tell this one story and then find themselves in it. Even if they aren't a black girl growing up with the father in prison, a mother who survived an addiction, a sister who mean as hell and a brother who taught her how to play sports. Even if they ain't got those five elements in their life, they can find themselves because they are a breathing human being. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you could easily replace Kevin Bacon in the game of six degrees. Of <laughs> <laughs> Don't last- say that. I love Kevin Bacon in six degrees. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we say that because the last few people that we've spoken to, um, one being Sasha Banks, another Hala Ayan, have all um, brought you up in conversation and the praise and encouragement mm-hmm. that you gave them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it to be connected to so many amazing writers and poets mm-hmm. in the world and for them to credit you to pushing them into the world mm-hmm. of, you know, doing poetry and going deeper and pursuing a career for them, mm-hmm. how, you know, like that it would end up being beneficial for them. Mm. That moves me so much, actually. I could. Mm. Yeah. I'm really moved by that. Damn. Um, I really just tried to offer the thing that wasn't given to me. Like I just wanted a mentor who saw 
<laughs> who saw my potential, right? And was like, yo, you got to do this thing because you got, you got it, let's go. Um, I wouldn't, as uh, V, um, formerly known as Eve Ensler, she would say good touch, right? We, we, we know about touch, like you all the time say, no, let this person touch you, da, da, da. Like, but when do we learn good touch? Like a hug from a friend, a consensual hug, like, and I want that. Like, I wish I had that good touch um, relationship that I tried to provide as, as not, not to say that I'm everyone's mentor, but like coming into contact with someone who's been doing the work in the world that I want to be in. I just wanted to be like honest and be like, yo, you got this. And people gonna hate on you too. And good. Like, see them where they at. You know what I mean? Like, eat their food. Make them wash the dishes. I'm, I'm that guy all the time. For real. I'm like, too much hip hop sometimes. But it's in, the way, it's in the way in which I just want you, I just want to be, I want people to be loved up on and to walk around proud knowing that, yo, I'm gonna write the hell out that story. I'm gonna write the damn hell out that phone. I'm about to tell the truth about what I just saw. And they can't take it from me. They can't make me small. They can't make me silent. Um, so to know that people remember me makes me very happy because I feel forgotten a lot. It's, it's amazing. I don't know what that is either. I'm gonna have to go to therapy for that, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> but to hear that, makes my heart like so full well you are remember at least on this show people know yeah and we're gonna let them know um who you are all right (laughs) (laughs) so not only you're a writer you are a mom what has that journey been for you um do you want your daughter to go into this world like you know the journalism poetry writer world or how, how has your writing changed since you've had her? Mm, so my daughter is 23. She's a, a whole adult. Yes. And I tell her all the time, um, I am able, like my hustle came after I had her. My hustle came after I had her. I became a person that was like, I cannot stop doing this work because I got this kid to feed. That's it. That's it. That's all we got to go. Um, She's a singer and she's, a, she's so good. So if you saw any of my poems, that blurred vision poem where the girl is singing next to me, that's my daughter. That's her. Yeah. And she, that was her at 14. Okay. So she went to a performing arts middle school and high school. She went to college in Chicago. Um, and she has like several albums that she's put out. She's a mate. She's, she's dope. She's great. And the only thing I asked of her, I was like, I, I don't care what you want to do. I'm going to support you. I'm going to celebrate you. But you need to know the business aspect. So if you want to be an artist, you need to be able to tell me how to read this contract, right? You need to tell me how to do this marketing plan. You need to show me a business plan. Like you need to know all of the aspects because what I learned when I was going through it was how much I didn't know. Mm. I didn't know a lot and I had to uh, depend on people or, or try to um, hire people who would maybe not do their part. Um, it, everything felt like a group activity that, you know, them group projects for school. You're like, am I the only one doing the homework, bitch? What? Do your part. We say what we're doing is. Don't you want to A? Um, uh, so I, I just pushed her to always know all aspects of her love. If you, if this is your passion, if this is your love, 
know everything about it. So when somebody comes on to help you, they're doing their part. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think back on everything up until this specific moment in time, what do you think about how of how you got here? When you think of all of what took for you to get to where you are today? Hmm. I know I wasn't supposed to be here. Mm. I wasn't supposed to survive. Um, and I was, I'm highly blessed and favored. The way in which I was protected, the spaces I walked in that some folks that walked in with me did not walk out of, um, the neighborhoods I grew up in, uh, you know, even, even the family that, that I have that, didn't make it. Like I recognized that I wasn't supposed to make it. So everything I do is miraculous. Mm. Every moment I get to have, when I see a book in the store, I'm near weeping. One, I used to steal from bookstores and libraries, not because, no, I just did. I love books and I couldn't afford it all the time. And that's why I started volunteering at libraries. I had to pay it forward, but (laughs) trust. (laughs) I love them books. I love them books. Um, I would, but I was trying to find a world where I knew that I wasn't going to be lost. Like my body wouldn't be lost. Mm. My mind wouldn't go. Um, my hope wouldn't be buried. I books became that place for me. And so now when I see my name in the bookstores and I'm able to offer that kind of solace to someone like me growing up who don't know if they're going to, where they're going to be tomorrow, if they're going to make it, where their parent is. I am, (laughs) I'm getting like about, okay, I'm not going to cry. I am forever emotionally um, floored and and, in deep gratitude. And I bow, I bow big, I bow big for the opportunity. Um, And I just, you know, I just want to make my ancestors proud. Like all of us, I just want them to know that, uh, we out here, we thriving, and they will be remembered. Yes, they will be remembered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, listening to a, an interview. I can't think of the the person's name. It's, it's escaping me right now. But she was on a, an episode of Fresh Air, and she was talking about the uh, the subject of envy. She was questioned about it and she was saying how she didn't understand how people could be envious she was like I she's like I experienced it once like I I feel like she was exaggerating at a point she could be telling the truth but she was like I experienced it once but then I had a realization that if I am envying something that someone has Mm -hmm. and wishing that I had the same thing that means that I also have to take in all of the things that they went through in yep. order for them to become who they were. So mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, like I'll be like, I wish I was Oprah rich, but do you wish you had Oprah's life? Yes. Because the sister just dropped a, a book about her traumatic experience growing up. And it's like, that was something that she had to go through mm-hmm. to get to where she was. And if you are willing to walk that fire, then go ahead. You might end up being Oprah rich, right? But I think a lot of the times that when people look at 
those that they admire and wish that they were where they were they have to really sit in and say okay you have to understand those experiences that this person has gone through and you know the the ones that they're willing to share so you know we just thank you um for being able just to give us an inkling of what it is to be mahogany mahogany brown um and to like absorb you in in all of your words um when did when did you realize that you were like the mahogany brown because to me you are the mahogany brown (laughs) i don't know that's crazy okay there was this one time i ain't gonna front okay back in 2000 (laughs) so my last name is not brown that's not my last name i i was given that name brown by jermaine hall who used to run vibe i think he's running bet now he was the editor over at double xl no source he was editor of source anyway <clears throat> and he was like you need a last name like you can't just be right like you're not madonna like they need to like you know what I mean? like you come on because i was going by mahogany um and so i said oh, okay so mahogany brown cool and then like six months later there was a mahogany brown that showed up as a writer um in a different area but in the same industry and i was like whoa you wasn't here and that's when i was like well i'm old let's write for this name. let's let's fight for this name <laughs> and that's when I realized I'm willing to go down with the boat honey Mahogany L. Brown is the Titanic and <laughs> yes I did not know I was the anything I just knew that I was willing to fight to keep my name because not only did I give it to myself. I knighted myself with this name. I renamed myself. I gathered myself. I was named after my father. And, you know, as a a victim of the mass incarceration system, he's been in my life very little. And there's a lot of pain there. So when someone would say that name, they said his name. And I was just like, "Mm." so even now people are like, well, I know you as this. And I'm like, no, that's really my dad's name because I've named myself. Right. And I and, and what does it mean to claim who you are, to name who you are and claim who you are? Mm-hmm. And people have to respect it. Uh, Audrey Lord taught us that she renamed herself. She re- she respelled it and everything. So I just wanted that same kind of I gave myself that kind of permission. And when I started <laughs> refusing people to call me whatever. Oh, you the girl from the HBO that no, my name is Mahogany O'Brien. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I got a whole name, right? Once I started doing that and refusing people to like um call me whatever they felt like or 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 make me the butt of the joke, that's when I felt like I was the right. Um when my daughter uh, was like, Oh, my teacher brought you up in class. She was in like fourth or fifth grade. I felt like that's when I'm the mahogany brown. Um, when these, uh, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, and now a, a 13, 14-year-old have memorized Black Girl Magic and performed them in oratory contests and won, that's when I feel like the. So when I'm being remembered by the young Black girls that I felt like that was me or, you know, what I mean? then I feel like I'm, I'm the shit. And you really can't tell me nothing except what's for dinner. Cause I don't care. Like there's <laughs> nothing you can say. 
nothing at all. The people who need to need to know me, they remember me and that's enough. Mm-hmm. What do you do for fun? Mm. Real Housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> Netflix binge. Read <laughs> a lot. Um, meditate. I've taken up meditation. Uh, before COVID, traveling was a joy. Um, I try to, I don't know. I'm finding joy in like weird things like jumping off cliffs and <laughs> bungee jumping off a bridge in New Zealand and what yeah cliff jumping in hawaii or puerto rico i i just i don't know something when when i broke my ankle in 2003 um i went from like this person who played basketball and softball and super sports athletic to like having to learn how to walk again and and then fearing that i would break it again and you know just you know fearing mortality like fearing my own mortality um so i started doing stuff that I would never give myself the chance to do before. Mm. Crazy boat rides, hot air balloons. Oh. I'm doing it. I'm cause it's all going in a story show. It got to, I have to see it for myself. I'm going to write <laughs> these things. <laughs> I jumped off an airplane, but I couldn't. Yes. I, I, I jumped off an airplane. I yes. thousand feet. But anywho, I cannot, for the life of me, jump off a cliff because somebody got to push me off of that airplane. The, oh. the guy was like, it's time to go. And then <laughs> just go to gym. When you go to Jamaica, just go to Jamaica. They have great cliffs. Curacao also has really nice cliffs. Um, I couldn't just imagine. go to Jamaica and you could do it. And then you can do the small one. So you can work up to like the 30 foot one. You could do the little 12 foot one, jump in and you realize, oh, this is beautiful. Water warm. It's trippy though because it's a cave at the bottom. I ain't gonna scare you. Never mind. Do it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's what we are. That's what we are. Was that the first thing you you did when you were like, let me go and try something new? I'm gonna jump off a cliff. Yes. Oh wow. That was the first thing I did. That I dreaded. Jump off a cliff. Coffee has always been my love, and then like you know, you age and you're like, Ooh, I can't have coffee two, three times a day. I need to find something else. So bookstore shopping, I can't have any more books in my house. I had to start like, what does an experience look like? Okay. Yeah. Let's go look at the water. I'll climb up that cliff. Sure. I'll jump off. I've always been kind of a daredevil anyway, but now I was just like, anywhere I go, I'm looking for ways in which I can, I can coast the sky a little bit. Well, we got probably about like three more questions left. And so this question, we were just wondering, you know, with all of this, looking back in our in our youth with reading these books, like if you had a time machine and you could go back to any age to tell young Mo Brown what was coming, mm-hmm. when would that be for you and why? Mm. I will go back to when I was 14 because that's when like I, I learned to un, unlove myself. Mm. I was like, mm, I'm not as cool as I thought I was. I thought I was cool and I thought these were my friends and now I caught them making fun of me and maybe they're right. Maybe I'm not worth it. Mm. 14 is when I will go back for sure. Mm. It's 
guy had a realization at the end of the novel. She said, choose yourself every day. How, mm-hmm. how do we do that, Mahogany? How do we choose ourselves every day? Um, deep breaths and uncomfortable decisions. Sometimes you are not going to make everyone happy because you are not going to be a, a welcome mat, right? You're not going to just be there to hold their things. You're not going to be there for them to emotionally dump on you. You're not going to be there for them to be a, you know, a whipping post or to be blamed. So choosing yourself means I'm choosing the best spaces for myself. I'm choosing friendships that celebrate me. I'm choosing spaces that allow me to reclaim my joy. I'm, and, and sometimes it's like, oh, this is not about joy. Then cool. I just got to let you go rock. Right. And, and maybe I'll be bored at home watching Jeopardy with somebody, but I'm not allowing you to make me feel less than about myself. Choosing yourself means putting yourself in positions that only grow you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're releasing a new novel in 22, 2022. Yeah. Uh, Final Moon. Beep, Will you beep, is there like any like sneak peeks that you can give us about the novel at all? Like you want to hear or know? Can we what you hear? Want? I mean, you know. <laughs> I'm not allowed to, but I can tell you it is someone that has a cameo appearance in Chlorine Sky. So it is, it is a universe. We are in the universe. I'm doing all black girl magic universe, child. What's popping? Do it, do it. (laughs) This is so fantastic. (laughs) That was just supposed to be for me, but you caught it on video. (laughs) That's that's going to be a really good gift, too. I hope you make that a gift. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Well, ma'am. We thank you for your Wait, time. Wait, no. Oh, we can't. Right. We can't. Uh-oh. There's one question that we have to always ask okay. anybody who comes on this show. That's true. Sorry, I got carried away. <laughs> I like I don't need no anything else. <laughs> we, are, we are full. We're full from all of the answers <laughs> you gave us. But we got to know this one. Okay. And that is what's your top 5 favorite books of all time? <laughs> I know. This is so hard. Okay. Tony Morrison's Bluest Eye. Mm-hmm. Jasmine Ward Salvage the Bones. Terrence Hayes Wind in a Box. Uh, Aracellus Gurmai's Kingdom Animalia. Mm. Yeah, this is so hard. <laughs> This is the only thing I'm going to apologize for. <laughs> um, uh, damn. So you got me fighting in my head. <laughs> it can be, mm. be seven. Hmm? It could be seven. Okay. Um, <laughs> the like, 12 like, tribes of Hattie McDaniel. Uh, Britt Bennett's um, Vanishing Half. six and 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 patricia smith's um should have been jimmy savannah 
Mm-hmm. Heavy. Final answer. <laughs> you did it. You did it. I kind of yeah. know like what your top five hip hop albums are, but I feel like that would be like Ooh. harder to. Okay. Stank on your outcast. Okay. Hardcore Lil Kim. Um, Pimp a Butterfly Kendrick. Chronic Dre. Yes. And, and you said hip hop. Can it be adjacent? Yes. Okay. Mary J. Blige 411. Mm, that album. Over and over. Over and over. Yes, ma'am. Because see, I couldn't even bring in my Tupac catalog. I couldn't bring in the cube. I couldn't bring in NWA Greatest Hits. Couldn't bring in my two short. I, I just had to. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna stick with that. I'm gonna stick with that. Dang, that was hard too though. <laughs> well, Thank we know so Thank much. You. This has been amazing. I would not forget this for the rest of my life, Mahogany, <laughs> because you have been instrumental. Thank and you. I'm just one of the thousands, I think. I'm mm. just, so multiply me. <laughs> that, that's how many people like, uh-huh. hug you and give thanks. So Thank you, you. Are not, you are never forgotten. Mm. Every time you feel that, just think of like, you know, little me and in my computer youtubing you <laughs> and i'm done gonna and go done. back to this conversation over and over so i can learn how to take up space so i'm gonna take mm. up space right now <laughs> <laughs> hey 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 <laughs> but yeah thank you so much for for giving us of your time we're gonna let you go so you can get back to that swv concert because that's what we know that's all that's it's gonna be i mean I'm going to tap, I'm going to tap in with y'all later and be like, well, we know who won child, but I'm going to see what you say. Thank y'all so much. All right. Bye-bye. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you as well. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.